Last week we spent a lot of time in the book of Daniel looking at who the Antichrist is, what Daniel had to say about him. We got a pretty good idea of, of what he's, uh, how he's going to come on the scene. We looked at world governments and that the Antichrist is going to be part of a world ruling government and he's going to rise to the power in that and how he's going to make a peace treaty with Israel. He's going to break that in the middle of that seven-year period. And then as the book of Daniel says, and as we'll see in the book of Revelation, he's going to make war with the saints. He's going to go after those who profess God's name and uh, profess to serve him. So I want to dig a little deeper, and we're going to spend most of our time this evening in Revelation chapter 13. But I want to give a little bit of a reminder and maybe a seed to keep in your thoughts. Second John chapter 2. Let me turn there myself. First John chapter 2. There is no chapters in Second John. You guys were going to sit there and let me turn, right? <laughs> Second John, excuse me, First John chapter 2 and verse 18 and verse 19. This is where we get his title from. It's not in the book of Revelation, although it is written by John. It's written in one of his letters. First John chapter 2 and verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. Well, you understand, he writes this nearly 2,000 years ago, some 1,900 years ago. And he says then it's the last time. The last time has been ever since Christ has ascended, and it has been the last time until we are waiting for his return. So it's true when Paul says it. It's true when uh, John says it here. It's true when Peter says it. They all make mention of it. It's the last times. It's the, the end of the age. Well, it has been ever since Christ has ascended until he's coming back. So he says, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. I think that should probably give verse 19 a little bit of context. We usually read it by itself. Well, what's John saying here? That You've heard that the Antichrist or that Antichrist will come. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. But he says, even, even now there's many Antichrists. There are those who in, are in opposition to God's word. Let me remind you of that, what that word anti means. We, we know it most as being opposed or against something, right? We're anti something, anti this or anti that. Uh, we say the world or society as a whole is anti God. It means something to be immediately opposed to or against. And certainly that can be true here. This person, and there is a spirit in the world that is anti-Christ. It is opposed to Christ, opposed to the teachings of the world, word. But I also want you to keep in mind the second definition of this Greek prefix anti. It means, it can also mean um, to be used in the place of, instead of. Um, there's a word we use called anti-type. Moses, the Exodus, all that happens is a type of Christ. Christ is the anti-type. He is the one that fulfills it. Uh, he is the one that takes the place of all that's pictured, all the sacrifices, the Passover lamb. Christ is the anti-type to that. He takes the place of it and supersedes it. We need to keep that in mind as well. And I want you to keep some of that in thought, especially as we go to... Uh, 
Revelation chapter 13. I also want you to keep in mind the warnings that Jesus himself gives in Matthew chapter 24. If you remember, we spent some time there. If you want to turn there, you can. I want to read you just a couple verses out of there. When Jesus is speaking to his disciples, they ask him, what are the signs that you're coming? Uh, what's going to happen at the end of the world? And he's, he gives uh, quite a few instructions. And he says this, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. False Christs and false prophets. He distinguishes between the two. Keep that, just keep that in mind. Keep that in the back of your head. File that for whatever it's worth. There shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say to you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcasses, there will the eagles be gathered together. He says there's going to arise false Christ, false prophets, much along the same thing that John is saying. There is coming that Antichrist, but there's already Antichrists here. There's already people who are in opposition. And I think um, we can learn that Jesus says there's going to come these shadows, I think, of the one who is to come. Because there's going to be people saying, look, he's there, let's go. Or look, he's over here, let's go. He says, it's going to be unmistakable, verse 27, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth to the west. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those huge storms where you can see the lightning, just big, huge bolts hit the ground. It's unmistakable. You see it, it flashes, it catches your attention. And Jesus says, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So... Um, he makes it clear that there's going to be deception, right? If it were possible, they shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And he uses that term quite a bit. If Jesus makes one thing crystal clear, it's that this time of the end is going to be a time of deception. People are going to be deceived. That has always stood out to me. In, in reading and studying this, How Jesus makes it a point. People are going to be deceived if it's possible the very elect are going to be deceived. Well, how, how will the elect be deceived? If it's a guy standing in a black suit with red eyes and 666 tattooed on his forehead, and we say, hey, that's Antichrist. Well, that's not really deception. I mean, I think there could be some weakness when it, if, it, if it's like that when it comes to the mark of the beast, but deception, deception. If it were possible, we'll deceive the very elect, and there's going to be false Christs and false prophets. As evil as the Antichrist is, and we'll see that especially here in a couple minutes, he's not going to seem that way. In fact, remember the first seal? Peace. And a crown is given to him. And he rules. And he's going to seem peaceful and elegant, not like I said just a second ago with red eyes and this black suit and a big black beard and long black hair, or however you might picture him. But he's not going to be like that. He's going to be somebody that people gravitate to, and it's going to be deception. So I just... I just want to put those seeds in your mind. I want you to keep that in your mind as we go through. And also, as we go through, I want you to see the similarities to Daniel. Hopefully, that's a little bit fresh in your mind. So, Revelation chapter 13. Let's turn over there. This is the chapter about Antichrist. This is a description of him. We saw 
quite a few uh, mentions of him in the book of Daniel. This is probably the clearest and most straightforward, so let's take a look at that for the remainder of our time tonight. I want to read the whole chapter just to get context because uh, the first half of the chapter deals directly with him. The last half of the chapter deals with somebody else, but it, it, it uh, mentions him, so we'll read that as well. So Revelation chapter 13, we're going to read verse 1 through verse 18. John writing here, he says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth all the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he goeth, excuse me, he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had a wound by the sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell save that he had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. That's a pretty heavy chapter. <laughs> that's one of those chapters you read that's not feel good. It's quite, uh, well, scary. could be quite scary. It could be quite intimidating. But that's him. This is the Antichrist. This is the one Daniel was shown. Now John is shown and he's given, um, given the information so that we might know as well. Countless people have tried to identify him. Who is this guy? The early ages after Scripture was written, he was the Pope or he was Caesar. Pick one. Not any certain one, pick one. These people that were in charge and in power and had people killed because they would not bow 
people automatically assigned it to him. Oh, it's got to be Caesar. It's got to be Nero. Well, Nero was before that, but it's got to be one of these Caesars. It's got to be one of these popes. In more recent times, it's, he's been identified as Stalin or Mussolini or Hitler. Certainly that would fit, right? You could imagine being just not so long ago in the 40s, in the mid-40s, and, and seeing all the massacre that was happening and read the scripture and say, that's got to be him. If you don't bow to, to, to uh, Nazi Germany, you're extinguished. It's got to be him. Well, even though as of late it's been Obama, or to some people it's Trump. <laughs> people try to assign him to a name to him, and that's going to continue to happen with each leader that comes on the scene. And when things seem to get bad, we're going to look and see, well, is this him? Is, is this him? If there's one person besides Christ in Scripture who has garnered more in, in attention and more uh, oh, curiosity and intrigue, it's the Antichrist. Who is he? When's he coming? What's this mark? Questions like that, right? There's been many people who have been anti-Christ. Some, again, recently. Uh, didn't Charles Manson claim that he was? Um, what's the other guy with the Kool-Aid? George, not George Jones. Jones. His last name's Jones. Not the country singer George Jones. I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get his first name. That, that guy claimed to be a Messiah. Or David Koresh in Waco, right? We have some names of recent history of people that made that claim and they gathered some followers. And that goes along with what John said in his letter, right? There are many antichrists. There had been people even uh, during the time of the writing of Scripture and after the time of Scripture up until now that have, have claimed that name or they've been opposed to it. But this is different. This is what John says, that antichrist, the antichrist. This is the one and only who will fill this. Hitler was anti-Christ. Mussolini, Stalin, all of them, they were anti-Christ. But they're not the anti-Christ. This is him who he talks about in Revelation chapter 13. As Paul says in the book of 1 Thessalonians, or excuse me, 2 Thessalonians, he is the man of sin, the son of perdition. So let's take a closer look. We'll walk through some of these verses and... Uh, if there's any questions, please stop me or we'll give some time at the end. So let's look at verse 1. Revelation 13:1. I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horn ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. I don't, I don't know what comes into your mind. I don't know if you, you, you envision Scripture as it happens, like a conversation that's taking place or the feeding of the 5,000. I try to picture it in my head as I read it. And I, I see something like Godzilla right here. This dark, stormy sea, and all of a sudden the, the sea splits, and out comes this huge monster, this beast, and seven heads and ten horns. And Well, if you remember, like I said, prophecy can be trippy. It uses some, some imagery, because that's what John's trying to describe. Look at this, this thing coming out and how it's represented. And as we saw last week, there's an explanation. This should be a little bit familiar. It kind of sounds like the book of Daniel, right? If you're taking notes and 
For by verse 1, I would write Daniel chapter 7. And then go back and take a look as it describes this beast that comes out and all the different parts that are made out of it and the heads and the horns. And that's, that's the same kind of imagery that Daniel saw. This beast has seven heads, ten horns. Again, you could go back to Daniel chapter 7, but I want to take you another place that gives you a darker description, a deeper description, a more terrible one. Just flip one page back in your Bible to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12 and 1. We're going to get here eventually, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I want you to see something. Verse 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. It's such a beautiful description. This is Israel. This is a description of God's nation, Israel. And she being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. That's speaking of Christ, as we'll see here in just a minute. But look at verse 3, Revelation 12, 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, that's speaking of the angels, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood ready before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child for as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's speaking of Christ. Did not Satan try to destroy Christ? Every step of the way, didn't he? From Herod at his birth to uh, the Pharisees, to Judas and the betrayal, to the cross. Don't mistake Satan's intent in the cross. The cross was going to happen, period. And it would go according 100% to God's will. It said Jesus set his face steadfastly to to go to Jerusalem. He said, I must be lifted up so that I draw all men to me. But Satan thought he had it over. Satan thought he was killing the one who would be the sacrifice. But it says he was caught up to God, to his throne. We know the whole story. Verse 6, The woman fled to wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there two thousand, excuse me, a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's for later. Verse 7, There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. Who is it? That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. This dragon, who has seven heads and ten horns, is Satan. The Antichrist has a description of a beast with seven heads and ten horns. There's no mistaking the resemblance, right? Didn't Jesus say... Uh, to Philip, I believe it was. Philip asked, hey, well, show us the Father and it'll be good enough. What did Jesus say? Hey, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. The resemblance is there. John says in the first chapter of his gospel, to, to gaze upon Jesus was to see the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. To see Jesus is to see God. The concept is the same here. To see the Antichrist is to see Satan. It's almost as if, though it's not, it's not the same. Jesus was God incarnate, right? God in the flesh. It's almost as if this Antichrist 
is Satan incarnate. By the way, let me just say right now, Satan's a lame copycat. He, can't, he doesn't have an original idea of his own. He's used the same process, well, mainly because it works. He's used his, his same process from the, the, the start of time. If he makes a religion, he makes it look like God's. His Antichrist is going to be a, co- a lame copy of Jesus. Let me just say that right from the, right from the get-go. This Antichrist is going to resemble the one who is behind him. And by the way, if this sounds all scary and dark, look at verse 10. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and His power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night, and they overcame Him. I, I, I don't know if you underline or you circle in your Bible. That's one I would circle. Because it's going to talk about uh, the Antichrist giving making war with the saints and and overcoming them. But I want you to see what that says. The accuser of the brethren. They is the brethren. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. That's the end. That's the end goal. We win. Even over this Antichrist, over all that he'll do, over the war that he will make, we win not only over him, but over Satan. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I love verses that are just dropped in there like that. Just boom. In case this gets all sounding dark, don't forget. Okay. So he has seven heads, ten horns. If you remember from Daniel, that talks about his political power, right? But it's explained a little bit deeper for us. So flip over to Revelation 17. I know a lot of this is kind of heavy for a Wednesday night especially, but it's here. Uh, It's been a while since we kind of dug into this. Why does he have seven heads? Why does he have ten horns? Is that just a random choice or is there there a a reason for it? And why why is Satan portrayed it the same way? Is Is there a connection? Don't take my word for it. You don't need commentaries. When you get to Revelation 13.1, don't go running to the commentary. Read the book. Because the Bible will tell you. God's going to tell us right here what it means. Okay. Revelation 17, verse 1. There came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Well, here he is again. And now that we get this picture of this woman. Verse 4, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And by the way, what a contrast to what we just read in chapter 12, right? A woman clothed with the sun and a beautiful crown and the moon is under her feet. This this woman's got purple and scarlet and jewelry everywhere, decked with gold and precious stones. You get the picture. There's a reason he called her what he did in verse 1. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. 
And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. This is representative of religion. A false religion from, I believe, from the beginning of time till this day, portrayed as a woman. And the angel, verse 7, said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. He says, what, what are you freaking out about? I'll tell you what's going on. Let me tell you about this woman. Let me tell you about the beast. Verse 8, that will help. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they beheld the beast that was and is not, and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Well, this is pretty easy to identify. Um, there's a place that has seven mountains, seven hilltops, upon which a city has been built. That city is Rome. Rome is built on seven hilltops. This is talking about location. Well, what has Rome been a center for? Exactly. Spiritual adultery, spiritual falsehood, namely Catholicism. Peter calls Rome Babylon in his letter. And it has been, like I said, the birthplace, the epicenter of nearly all spiritual adultery and falsehood. It all stems from there in some place. From the time this book is being written, you can read in the letters in groups like the Nicolaitans, those who rule over the laity, or those who love the office of the priest, um, but don't hold to the truth, is already the seeds are there. There's a, a man mentioned, I believe his name is Diotrephes, if I remember correctly, who loves to have the preeminence over him. John writes about this. He could see it beginning to take place in his time. This place, this location, is a center for spiritual Adultery, spiritual falsehood. That's a discussion for later. We'll come back to that when we come back to the second half of chapter 13. But see, he's, she, he's beginning to unveil this, this location. Look at verse 10. And there are seven kings. So the seven heads are also representative of seven kings. Five are fallen. One is. And the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. That's a lot of, <laughs> that's a lot of math. Probably readers, whoa. Okay, let's just break it down. Seven kings. I believe he's talking about empires. Remember Daniel, the, chapter, uh, the um, statue? And you got the head of gold, the silver, and the brass, and all that, and he's represented these five world empires or four world empires, however many it was he sees, I believe he's talking along the same lines. He says, there are seven kings. Five of them, at the time of John, are fallen. Okay? If you remember back to Daniel, he's shown four ruling powers that would come. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. And I said there were some before. I said there was one. There was actually two. Egypt had already ruled the world and had fallen by the time of Daniel. 
and so had a nation called Assyria. In fact, they carried Israel off into captivity. So if we fast forward to the time of John, he's told there's five kings. Well, let's count them out. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. Five kings have fallen. One is. Well, who is ruling at the time of John? Rome. One of the kings is. Rome was in power at the time of John. Five kings have fallen. One is. One is not yet come. Well, there's a kingdom coming that hasn't come yet. We know by looking at, uh, yes, the book of Daniel, and that statue had ten toes of clay and iron, remember? The strength of Rome, when we get some descriptions of the the beast, it's it's as if Rome dies, which we know it has in our day, but yet is revived, yet not to its former strength. I believe that is the one that is to come. Five world empires have fallen. At the time of John, one is Rome. The other is not yet come. That is the revived Roman Empire. Weaker, but still revived. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So there will be a short period of time that this revived Roman Empire goes. And the beast that was and is not, he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. The Antichrist will rise to power with this seventh empire, this revived Roman Empire, and eventually he will take over and become his own, the eighth. Does that make sense? Somewhat? I know you guys got it down to a T and you could recite it back to me. Great. (laughs) Get, Get a sense for what he's talking about? This is all talking about the political power, the political seat of this Antichrist. Five world empires has fallen. One is ruling. It's going to revive again. The Antichrist is going to come out of that, and he's going to become his own. The eighth. Verse 12. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as of yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. There's those ten toes, this... Ten horns, this ten nation or ten king confederation that the Antichrist is a part of, and they share power with him until he begins to wipe them out and becomes prominent. These have, verse 13, one mind and shall give their power and strength to the beast. Again, there's this ten ruler, ten nation confederation who ultimately give all their power to him. I don't know if that's the ten major nations of the earth. That are some kind of council, what's it called? It's going out of my head. Security Council, Council, that's what it's called now? What's the other? United Nations, that's the one that's in my head. But something like that, right? That we have in place even to this day. It's going to be something similar of ten ruling world powers that this guy takes over. Verse 14, this is another one of those, let me just drop this right here, verses in case you guys are wondering. They shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. (laughs) I love that. They're going to try to make war with Jesus, and He shall overcome them. Listen, look at this. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. (laughs) I love that phrasing of the Bible. It's not even a contest. This guy thinks he's King of the world. He's Lord of lords. He's the King of all the kings. All these five kings who are and not and blah, blah, blah. Jesus is the King of kings. They're going to try to make war with Him. He overcomes them. And they that are with Him, they that are with Jesus, are called, 
and chosen and faithful. That's going to come into play like in chapter 19. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So remember that sea that he comes rising out of? It comes up to prominence out of the nations. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these, well, that's, we, can go, we can end it there. So now that your minds are spinning, all of this is talking about his political power and his political position. He's going to rise to be king of everything. Make sense? That's what the seven heads, ten horns, all that means. He's going to be king of basically the world. So back to chapter 13. Let's finish up here a couple more minutes for our time tonight. Verse 2, Revelation 13, 2. The beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. That should be familiar. That's straight out of Daniel and all these other world empires that he saw. He's going to be fast and spread like Greece did. He's going to have the strength of Persia. He's going to have the elegance and the, the, uh, the presentation of Babylon. He's going to be appealing to this world. People are going to want him to be his king. But what's behind him? He's got dragon power. The dragon gave him his power, his seat, and his great authority. Who's the dragon? Satan. Satan gives him his power. Satan gives him his seat. Satan gives him authority. This is Satan's man. This is his ultimate attempt. This is Satan's Christ. I don't know if that sounds off to you. But think of Satan's motives from the get-go. I will be like the Most High, right? I will ascend. I will sit there. I will be like Him. And there's some similarities I can't ignore. Deception like no other, if it's possible, to see the very elect. He's given power and seat and great authority. You know what rings in my mind? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Didn't Jesus say that? There's some similarities that I see. Verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Some say this speaks of the actual Roman Empire being uh, dead and coming back. I think it's a little bit more. If you just look in verse 14, actually verse 12 mentions it, and so does verse 14 at the end. He had a wound by the sword and did live. The end of verse 12. Whose deadly wound was healed. It gives me the sense that this guy seems to die and come back to life. I say seems to because nowhere in Scripture does Satan have the power to raise the dead. Period. Satan doesn't have that power. But it seems to be this guy dies and comes back to life. Sure sounds like somebody else to me. Hmm. And think of the wonder that it would draw. What is the one thing that is always attacked in Christianity. The resurrection. What is the proof, the proof, that Peter in his preaching, Paul in his preaching, and their writings, what do they point to as proof that Jesus is who He was? The resurrection. What's the one thing that the world has not been able to disprove? Same answer. Because somebody by now would have Jesus' bones. Somebody along the line in the past 2,000 years would have cracked and leaked the secret if it was a secret. 
There ain't no bones. There ain't no body. Because Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. Think of the wonder that draws from our own hearts. Well, if this happens in front of our eyes, think of, think of what we've got attached to us. I've got one in my back pocket. I'm recording on that one. Think of what's attached to us. And all the news, you know the latest coronavirus updates because you've got something in your hand that tells you. You know when somebody wants to talk to you. You know when there's breaking news, when there's an amber alert, right? You can't silence those things. Those have gone off in church services, right? Meet, meet, meet. Everybody's phone's beeping. Can you imagine if the world ruler... Breaking news, so-and-so has died. And you begin to tune in, and then, oh, right before your eyes, he comes back to life. Think of the wonder that would draw. Could this be the avenue that he uses? The deception that he uses, claiming that this is Christ? Oh, and they will worship, verse 4, and they worship the dragon which gave power to the beast, and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? They worship the dragon, they worship the beast. I don't know if they willingly worship Satan. Certainly there are people who do. The whole world going after Satan to worship him. Things can get that bad? Sure. I'm not going to say it's not possible. Or could they be be deceived into believing the dragon is somebody else? Deceived into believing a lie? Because we worship the Father and the Son, don't we? Both are worthy of our worship. Is this... Any different but a deception? I don't, I don't know. These are just things that are in my mind. And it doesn't make us, it doesn't surprise me with how liberal Christianity is. I, well, let me just kind of close with this, I guess. I heard there was another Christian rock band singer that defected, uh, said all of a sudden he doesn't believe in God. But for a very strange reason, uh, from what I understand, the story is that he read a verse that said women can't be pastors and they shouldn't braid their hair. And so he asked somebody, uh, well, what does that mean? And somebody gave him some lame old answer like, uh, well, you know, the translators might have put that because of the culture of the time. So, you know, you've got to be careful with verses like that. You know, there's some other verses we can trust more, but some of these, you know, we can't really trust. So he takes that and goes and says he doesn't believe in God. If it takes something like that to cause you not to believe in God, maybe you never knew him in the first place. And this is what liberal Christianity is, is, is this, this mainstream liberal Christianity, that's what it's breeding, that's what it's producing. People who can't take the truth of Scripture, there are no women pastors. That offends people. Oh, they hate stuff like that. Or the structure for marriage. There are even Christians that are, there are people who claim to be Christians that saying the traditional biblical definition of marriage is oppressive. That Jesus never spoke about homosexuality and never spoke about this. Listen, it doesn't surprise me if Christianity can be deceived into believing, hey, look, here's Christ. Look what happened. He's come back. And the world wonders after. I, I, I don't know if that's what it is for sure. But it sure sounds like it. It sure sounds like it when Jesus says, be careful, don't be deceived. I'm telling you before, somebody says, here's Jesus. Don't believe it. Look, he's there in the desert or he's over there in the mountains. No, 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 no. Deception so great it could deceive even the very elect. Verse 5. It was given to him a great mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. 
He continues 40 and two months. Great pompous words. Great pompous claims. It doesn't necessarily mean evil. It just means these great things. Maybe that's how he... Though they are great, they are blasphemous. Wouldn't claiming I am God be blasphemy? Wouldn't claiming to be something he is not be blasphemy? And this continues for three and a half years, and perhaps that's how he secures the covenant with Israel, is by these convincing, convincing Israel that he's the Messiah. Maybe that's how he lures and secures the worship of the world. But notice verse 6, there's a change, and then he opens his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme His name and His tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. That's the abomination of desolation that we looked at last week where Paul says, we won't go there for time, he goes in the temple, proclaims himself to be God and then makes war with the saints. That's what the next verse says, right? And it was given, verse 7, unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and power was given him over all nations, kindreds, and tongues. And all that dwell on the earth shall worship him. Now there's a qualifier whose names were not written in the book of life from, of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. You see, he's going to hate the ones who are not deceived, the ones who see through it. If it's as plain as a guy with 666 tattooed on his forehead, that's not really deceiving, is it? But if we can look and say, no, 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 that's, that's not... That's not Jesus. Everybody's saying it's Him. That's not Him. No, that, that's the Antichrist. Can you imagine how many people would hate us? Do you know how many people don't like when we say, hey, you know what, we believe you've got to be baptized this way. We believe you've got to be baptized, or excuse me, saved this way. We believe this is how you serve. That makes Christian people mad. It makes the world mad. What do you mean, one way of salvation? Can you imagine if we were to stand and say, if this is the case, and I'm not saying it is, I'm not 100% sure, but there's a guy claiming to be Christ and doing all these wonders and a whole world is following him and it's, it seems like this worldwide revival of Christianity and maybe he's establishing his kingdom right here and right now and we're the ones saying, uh-uh, something ain't right here. And we're made to be the bad guys, kill them. Or when he truly reveals his colors and the whole world sees it. Something to think about. But this is what the Bible says about him. He's going to seek to stamp out the people who hold to the Word of God, which has been Satan's goal from the start. So that's him. And I, I don't know if you can see the first four seals and all of that. A time of peace, a time of war. There's two more left because uh, he's not alone in this. And not only does he have Satan's backing and power, but there's another person with him. And we need to introduce him because he's integral in how these seals unfold and the religious side of it. And we call him the false prophet. So we'll finish up a couple things and we'll move on to him next week. So those who are watching, I pray it's been a blessing. I know maybe a lot to, to handle, kind of wrap your mind around, but may the Lord give us understanding in it and a watchful eye. So we'll see you Sunday at 10.